Hello. Bonjour. My name is Rosalind, although some call me Ros, and some call me Rosa. Some may know me by my nom de plume, the French femme. I'm 65 years old and English, but have lived in France for over 15 years. I've decided to do this podcast and tell you my story, as I believe it's important to share what happened to me in order to help others and to raise better awareness and understanding. It's a story of how one life can be radically changed by chronic illness. That illness is ME. Myalgic encephalomyelitis. Yes, it's a big mouthful. (laughs) It's also called CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. But to me, that does not do justice to the multitude of symptoms and the severity of the illness. You may also see ME-CFS, which is also used and can be confusing. If you want to know more about the history behind the name, I suggest you look it up and read more about it. I found Osler's Web by Hilary Johnson a very good source, although it's a long read. Anyway, this is about me and my life. I first became ill in 2002 and I suppose about one-third of my life has been affected by this illness. I was born in 1956. As a child, I caught most of the childhood diseases like measles, mumps and chickenpox and many other infections that were going around at the time. Even at the age, the early age of five, I had my tonsils removed. Measles for me was the worst as it badly affected my ears. I had a perforated eardrum and was often in great pain. It left me with partial hearing in my right ear. I seemed to easily catch any coughs and colds that were going. I do recall a period I had, I'm not sure how old I was, when I had a lot of time off school as I was suffering with a complete lack of energy. I felt tired and dizzy all the time, especially when I tried to stand up. My parents took me to the doctor several times and they could find nothing wrong with me. They thought that I was making it up and I didn't want to go to school. I eventually improved and went back to school. But now, when I look back, I wonder if this was an early sign of ME. Anyway, I had a good education. I went to teacher training college and gained a Bachelor of Education degree. It was at college that I met my first husband and we married soon after I graduated. 
I did try teaching for a year, but it was too stressful and decided it was not for me. So I changed my career direction and went into local government where I stayed for over 20 years. They were some of the happiest years of my life. Towards the latter years, I became more and more involved in union work and I became a full-time union representative. I've always liked to help others, the hard luck cases, the underdog, the abused, the discriminated, the inequalities and the injustices of everything in life. I suppose I'm still doing that now, in my advocate as a role for ME. And of course, this is always within the limits of my own health. Otherwise, I had a full and active life. Besides working full time, I loved to go walking and hiking a lot, especially in the Derbyshire Peak District. I enjoyed swimming, cycling and was a fair tennis player. I also had an active social life with good friends. I loved to visit new places and went on many holidays abroad. I loved to read and I was in fact an avid reader. Anyway, when I reached the age of 30, I decided that for me it was time to start a family. And my only daughter was born in 1988, when I was at the age of 32. Getting pregnant had not been easy. My pregnancy went well for the most part, although I did have high blood pressure towards the end. My daughter took too long coming into this world and I, have to, and I had to have an emergency caesarean operation. I was exhausted afterwards and I was told that I had lost quite a lot of blood. My husband at the time was not very supportive and I went into postnatal depression soon afterwards. I decided that I didn't want any medication, but I had a medical professional who came and talked to me every week and that helped me through. I always wanted to go back to work as soon as possible, and anyway, we needed the money. Fortunately, the council allowed me to go back to work on a job share basis. So I only worked half of the week. Still, it was very hard. I had next to no help and support from my husband and was always very tired. However, my daughter made up for that. She was my joy, my pleasure, and I adored her. She was for me a miracle. Later on, I went back to work full time, but once, once again, the council allow, allowed me to do term, term, term time working, which meant I was with my daughter every school holiday. Now, as you know, children often catch all infections that are going, especially when they start school. The trouble was that everything that she had, I had too. I had lots of time off work. 
At the age of 37, I think I was 37, I became pregnant again, but had a miscarriage 12 weeks later. Perhaps that was just as well, since my, mar my marriage had deteriorated, and it would have been a mistake to bring another child into the world. Somehow I managed to struggle on with my marriage for the sake of my daughter until it became intolerable. On my 40th birthday, I decided that I had had enough. My husband wouldn't leave and he wouldn't accept that it was all over. So I had to walk away and leave my home, my life and all that I had built up taking my daughter with me. Fortunately, my daughter, myself, were looked after by family. But I felt free at last to start over and do what I wanted. The, the divorce took a long time and was stressful, but I was happy. With the sale of the house, I had enough money to buy a house of my own and start a new life with my daughter. I tell you all this story to show how stress may contribute to weakening the immune system. And I've, I've had more than my fair share of it in my life, I can tell you. But so do many others, and that doesn't necessarily make them ill. Perhaps it's a combination of a virus that invades the body, weakens the immune system, and then stress makes it worse. I don't know, I'm just hypothesising. So here I was, a single mother, with a full-time job, a new house and a home, a mortgage, and a very active participation in union activities. I was happy and felt at last able to control my own life. I went on lots of blind dates and had flings with a few men. Life was good at last. <laughs> Little did I know, then in 2002 it all started to change. Some people know and never forget the first day when they became ill. I recall the time, but not exactly one day. I just know, in the spring of 2002, I went on a Poldark, a Poldark Appreciation Holiday in Cornwall. I've always loved Poldark and Cornwall, and this was my dream to go and visit some of the locations. With the members of the Society, we stayed in a hotel in Oswithiel. It had a bar down below, and there was a gorgeous, handsome Cornish man who caught my eye. It was like love at first sight. After the holiday, we, stay, we stayed in touch constantly and we planned for him to come and visit me. I'll say no more about that. Anyway, he invited me to take a holiday and stay with him in early summer. But in the weeks before that, I started to feel very ill. I had no energy. I had a sore throat and I kept wanting to sleep all the time. I thought perhaps that I had the flu. 
I went to see my doctor and she confirmed that yes, it could be the flu. So I had a couple of weeks off work. I nearly didn't go on the holiday to Cornwall as I still felt unwell, but then decided perhaps that it was just what I needed and maybe I'd been working too hard. It was there in Cornwall that I first noticed, noticed that things weren't right. I had no energy. This woman that thought nothing of hiking all day suddenly couldn't, couldn't walk up a slight incline and felt out of breath. There were other signs like feeling cold, especially in my hands and feet, even though it was actually a lovely warm summer, summer's week. Still, I persevered. I just thought, yes, maybe it's just the flu and I haven't really got over it. Perhaps I need more time. After that holiday, I went back to work, but I still felt like I hadn't recovered. I ended up having more time off and I went back to see my doctor. She said that I had flu again. I asked, how was that possible? She said that some of the viruses in summer were worse than those in the winter. I was dubious, but I felt I had to trust my doctor. I didn't know otherwise. I don't recall how many times this pattern repeated, but I just wasn't getting better. I did see Mr Cornishman one more time, but it just wasn't working out. Then I had a few personal problems at work, partly because I kept taking time off on the sick. So in September, my doctor proposed that I have the flu jab, as I seemed to be getting the flu all the time. So I did as she, as she suggested. I didn't know what else to do. I think that I became worse after that. And going to work was a huge problem. But I'm not one to give in easily. I pushed myself to keep going and to keep working. After all, I was a single mum with bills to pay and a house to maintain and a daughter to care for. What else could I do? By Christmas, I completely collapsed. It was impossible to go back to work. So in January, once again, I went back to see my doctor. This time I took my mother for support. The doctor was totally at a loss and had no idea what was wrong with me. She said to me, what do you expect me to do? I was angry. I was exasperated, frustrated, stressed and frightened. I didn't know what was happening to me. I left the doctor's office in a flood of tears and after that I changed my doctor. The next doctor, thankfully, was more sympathetic and understanding and prepared to do something. At last. This next doctor referred me to the nearby hospital 
for lots of blood tests. In the meantime, I had started to do some of my own research and trying to find out what could be wrong with me. At that time, I didn't have access to the internet, and so I scoured the local library and the bookshops for something that might help. I began to think that maybe I had something called ME, although I hadn't heard about this illness and knew nothing about it. Yet, on reading, it seemed to me that the symptoms fit, fitted the pattern of myself and that maybe it could be that, but I needed confirmation. So, I'd given up on work. I hardly went out and I slept all the time. My parents couldn't understand what was happening and told me to pull myself together and get back to work. <laughs> I had no energy. I slept a lot of the time. I had a sore throat, swollen glands, felt dizzy and a brain that seemed to no longer function. I was anxious and very frightened. I was a single mother with a mortgage and bills to pay. How was I going to survive if I couldn't go back to work? I thought that my life had come to an end. I saw no future for me. Now, it's funny how things sometimes turn out when you least expect it. My friends, however, felt sorry for me. They proposed that I go out with them one Saturday evening early in March. They said I didn't need to walk anywhere as a taxi would pick me up at my house and bring me back to my door. We were going to a restaurant come nightclub to celebrate a, a friend's birthday. <laughs> Little did I know that evening would change my life. When we finished eating, my friends encouraged me to go and have a dance. I said, no, no, I can't. They said, come on, just one dance. Very soon, I was asked to dance by one of the men who was standing, uh, the men standing on the side. However, I really didn't take to him and soon made my excuses to go back to my friends. And play me down soon afterwards, I was asked by another man to dance. There was this strange looking French man in front of me and he made me forget for a moment all my worries. He asked me if I wanted a drink, so I said yes. We sat down and we tried to chat, but his English wasn't very good and my school French was long forgotten. Anyway, he was a welcome distraction and a little bit of normality. At the end of the evening, he asked me for my telephone number. I gave it to him, but didn't expect him to call. But blow me down, he rang me the next day. That was the start of a relationship and a marriage which lasted for nearly 12 years. When he called the first day, I was feeling exhausted from my night out with the girls. I tried to tell him that I was ill and that I couldn't start a relationship. But that didn't seem to be a problem for him. He kept calling and soon he came to visit me. 
he literally swept me off my feet. And I felt for the first time in a long time that perhaps I could live again. He was supportive and went with me to all my medical appointments. He was with me the day when I was given an official diagnosis. And this is how it goes. After all the blood tests, everything came back as normal. But I was referred to a specialist unit. I don't exactly know what it was at that time, but it was the nearest thing to an ME specialist unit, I suppose. I was in a daze and feeling very unwell. They told me that I had something called chronic fatigue syndrome. After looking at my history and all of my symptoms, I suggested that it might be ME. But they told me that it was recent that recently the name had been changed from ME to chronic fatigue syndrome. I was relieved to have a, a name at last and to know that it wasn't all in my imagination. I asked what treatment there was available and all they suggested was graded exercise and cognitive behavioural therapy. I accepted what I was told and was prepared to follow their advice. I was still pretty ignorant and didn't know otherwise. I felt obliged to give it a try. What else could I do? There was no follow-up and no other help was suggested. I was on my own. So, with my new French boyfriend, I tried to do some graded exercise, but I soon realised that it was bad advice, as I felt immediately worse afterwards, with excruciating pain in my legs and an increase in all other symptoms. My doctor helped me with some medication for the dizziness, and he proposed antidepressants, amitriptyline, which I gave a try, but I soon found that I couldn't tolerate it. I felt like a complete zombie. But anyway, I wasn't really depressed, just frustrated, I suppose. I still hadn't gone back to work. My French boyfriend, after a couple of months, he asked if he could move in with me and my daughter. After consideration and a chat with my parents, I decided to give it a try. After all, if it worked out and he found a good job, he could take the pressure off me, go back to work and help support me and my daughter. Oh dear, unfortunately it wasn't as simple as that. He turned out to have a whole load of problems. I won't go into all the details but it did put extra stress and pressure on me. But I was in love, and as the saying goes, love is blind. After many months on the sick, I was now down to half pay. I was sent to visit occupational health to, health to see if I was fit to go back to work. After looking at all my medical advice and an examination, they came to the conclusion that I would fully recover in less than five years and that I could be phased back into work. I couldn't go back to my old job and my employer proposed another one, 
which would entail even more travel backwards and forwards to work. I was already having to travel by train and bus every day. How would I cope with all that travelling and a full day's work? I just didn't feel that I could do that. I couldn't see a way out. So in desperation, I gave in my notice. And I decided to look for other work closer to home. Looking back, I'm not sure it was the best thing to do. But it was the only solution I could find at that time. I've just taken a pause as it's physically, cognitively and emotionally draining to do this podcast. It brings back memories of a difficult and painful time. It was a time when I didn't know what was happening to me. I was scared. I thought that my life was over. My doctor didn't believe me and so did my family and friends. I myself wondered if I was imagining it and thought that maybe I was going crazy. Having a diagnosis was reassuring, but I didn't really have any help with coping with this illness that had struck me. From early 2002 to most of 2003, I had spent more time on the sick from work than actually in work. My pay gradually went down and my debts went up. At this point, I want to read you a poem. I'll explain later how and why I started to write poetry. But my poems put into words what I experienced, what I felt, how I suffered, and like so many as the same as me. <clears throat> this one is entitled How It Started and describes how I became ill from 2002. It started like the flu that never went away. I wanted to sleep, not just at night, but by day. Yet I still felt tired, despite of all that sleep. Energy was all gone, and I felt very weak. My throat was very sore, and my glands seemed to swell. There was pain in my legs, and I felt so unwell. A fog came in my head. Everything spun around. It became hard to think and words could not be found. Yet since then, I've suffered more symptoms that are new. I think that it was more than the worst case of flu. It started like the flu that never went away. I still have more symptoms and suffer to this day. My onset was severe, but with lots of rest and meditation, I began to feel better by the summer of 2003. I had hope that maybe I was on the road to recovery. Little did I know at that time it would be with me for a lifetime. Thank goodness I didn't know. So when my French boyfriend proposed taking me to see France and meet his family, I felt able to say yes. I thought that a change of scenery and taking a holiday was just what I needed. We travelled to France slowly, 
stopping at places on the way. I'd been to France once before, but this was different. I was seeing the real France and soon realised that the way of life was much slower and it felt relaxing and less stressful. The first casualty of my illness was in deciding to give up my work for the City Council where I'd been for over 20 years, to give up the union work that I loved and felt passionately about. So after giving in my notice, I decided to look for work near to home. I registered with an agency and they soon found me working in an office. It was only data input and very boring, but at least the money kept coming in. However, as before, I soon needed to take time off from work as I seemed to catch all infections going and often just felt completely exhausted. It wasn't surprising when the agency took me off their books. So back to square one. After that, I started a job in a small hotel as a receptionist. I thought that it would suit me better as the hours were flexible and not too long. But the pay was very, very poor and soon they asked me to do more than reception work. I had to clean rooms, change beds and serve food and drinks. It was just too exhausting. Needless to say, I soon ended that job. What next, I thought. <laughs> Go back to what I know, local government. At that time, I lived just behind the local council offices, so I kept an eye on the vacancies. Soon I was able to apply for a post in administration, which looked promising. I thought that it would be ideal as there was no travelling involved and so I could manage with lots of rest before and after work. I think I was just kidding myself. When I went for the interview, I didn't say anything about being ill in the last two years. I'd convinced myself that I was now recovered and it wouldn't matter. That proved to be a grave error on my part. It was the same pattern as before. I needed to take a lot of time on the sick, either with some inf infection or just feeling so exhausted, suffering with pain and lots of dizziness and unable to concentrate. When it came to the end of my six-month probationary period, I was in danger of losing my job. So then I had to confess and explain why I had been taking lots of time on the sick. Thankfully, my manager was understanding and gave me an extended probationary period and I was allowed extra sick time than normal so as to allow for my health problems. Even so, I just deteriorated. I couldn't cope. Slowly, I had to accept that I could no longer work. I took some, some extended time off on the sick to reflect and try to decide what to do next. I eventually conceded and gave in my notice. Casualty number two to this illness. I gave up working completely. 
You could give me 10 out of 10 for perseverance and trying to stay in employment. It's here I want to read another of my poems. It's entitled I Push Too Far and is about the early period when I pushed myself to keep working without understanding or knowing the consequences. I'm sure many of you who listen to this podcast will have done the same. I pushed too far. I pushed too long. I didn't know that it was wrong. I pushed myself. I pushed in pain. I didn't know it was in vain. I pushed too much, though I was ill. I had to pay every bill. I pushed myself past my limit, not knowing I'd suffer for it. I pushed myself. What price I paid. Now it's too too late. The damage is made. Dr Melvin Ramsey suggests absolute rest in the early stages of the disease and that relapses can be caused by excessive or mental stress or both, or a new infection. Myalgic encephalomyelitis was first defined by Dr. Al- Dr. Melvin Ramsey after an outbreak of the disease at the Royal Free Hospital in London in 1955. I suggest you look it up and read more about it. Anyway, I wonder if it was just a coincidence that I was born in 1956 in a hospital not that far from London. There also comes a point when you have to accept that you're not going to get better and that somehow you have to learn to live with this illness. My poem, Acceptance, says it all. To say this illness I accept is such a very hard concept. To accept my life has to change. To accept it can't stay the same. To accept how I must now live. To try not to be negative. To accept my limitations. To lower my expectations. To accept I need to take care. To accept energy is rare. To accept I need to have rest, to pace myself and do what's best. To accept new ways of coping, to find better understanding. To not be demanding on me, to reject those feelings guilty. To accept help on a bad day, to be honest in what I say. To accept I'll have some bad days and to feel denial and rage, to stop fighting against my fate, to stop my anger and my hate, to again find myself grieving, to mourn that life I'm now missing. To accept does not mean defeat, to know this illness I will beat. To accept is not giving in, but hope one day this fight I'll win. To accept part goes to me, To know it can't take the real me. I wish that I could say I accept, but it's such a hard concept. So here I am now, my debts were even worse and I felt that I was in danger of losing my home. I was stressed, anxious and worried. I discussed it with my French boyfriend, who had now become my fiancé. 
I thought that if I sold my house, I could pay off all my debts. He suggested that we could move to France. I thought that maybe that it was a possibility and that he would certainly cope better in his own country. But there was the problem of my daughter. Of course she didn't want to leave her home and all her friends. I felt the options were running out. In the end, I decided to sell my house, move to France, set up my daughter in a flat. She had family nearby and a boyfriend. It was an extremely difficult decision to make. Looking back, I don't know what else I could have done. It wasn't ideal, but I had to do something. I was at a loss and desperate. Casualty number three to this illness, the loss of my home. My only condition on moving to France was that we be married. In 2005, we had a beautiful wedding in a small village in France with only two witnesses. We moved into a lovely little house that we rented in a little quiet village. This was the start of my life in France for the next 16 years. My health kept going up and down, but gradually became worse with the menopause. My periods were very heavy, frequent and very painful. Eventually, I was referred to a specialist and there followed a full hysterectomy in 2008. I was in hospital for a week and it took me at least six months to recover afterwards. My husband was initially happier in France, but soon showed signs of mental health problems. He was admitted into a psychiatric hospital. It was the first time of many in the years of our marriage to come. Now, I'm a tolerant and understanding person, and I tried to help and support my husband, like he had done for me, but it was extremely hard. The first doctor I saw in France knew nothing about me and didn't even try to learn or understand about my illness and my problems. This illness is very poorly known and recognised in France and is often confused with fibromyalgia. Thank goodness I'd paid my doctor in England to write an official letter stating that I had chronic fatigue. It helped, but it wasn't really enough. We moved to another department around 2010-2011 uh, so my husband, husband could start another job. It was here that I found a more knowledgeable and understanding doctor. He said straight away that he had read that ME was caused by a virus. Wow, incredible, couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, the move had put me into a severe and prolonged relapse with a very painful sore throat and swollen glands, glands, extreme fatigue and pain. I was mostly bedbound and housebound. In, in this new house, which was bigger and had an upstairs, I was unable to cope and so we hired home help once a week. It was also at that time that I had increasing, increasing gastro problems. So after changes in my diet and by elimination, I had found that I'd become intolerant to gluten and dairy in my diet. 
I still avoid gluten and dairy to this day. I think it's quite a common problem for people with ME. By 2012, my husband was more stable and I felt that it was time to review my own health, especially since I'd found a reasonably good doctor. In the space of less than three years, my life has completely changed because of this illness ME. The first casualty of my illness was in deciding to give up my work for the City Council where I'd been for over 20 years and to give up the union work that I loved and felt passionately about. The second casualty of my illness was to accept that I could no longer work and to give up all attempts in doing so. The third casualty of my, of my illness was the loss of my beautiful house and home. And the fourth casualty of my illness was the loss of so many activities that I once used to love. Walking, hiking, cycling, swimming, tennis, going out shopping, going to the cinema or theatre, going to a bar or a restaurant, and so much more. But life goes on and you have to find a new way of living. I had chosen to move to France and I saw the possibility of a new life and living once again. It was a hard choice to make, but one I now feel glad I made. In 2012, I decided to do a review of my health since I had found a good doctor and it had been a long time since my diagnosis. First of all, he decided to do lots of blood tests. He referred me to various specialists and ordered different tests. Because I had been suffering with gastro problems, I, under I underwent a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Both were very unpleasant procedures and I had them done under a mild anaesthetic. Afterwards, I was told that I had a hiatus hernia and a very long colon, which explained some of my symptoms. Following the first tests, my doctor found that I had a very low level of vitamin D. So he prescribed a course of extra vitamin D and medication for my stomach problems and for panic attacks that I had experienced from time to time, probably because of all the stress that I've been through. In February 2013, I caught a very nasty flu-type virus and developed bronchitis, which was followed by pain and much inflammation. In fact, I was in so much pain, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I woke my husband and I said, oh, I think I'm having a heart attack. He took me into the urgence in the nearby, nearby hospital. They did all the tests on my heart and my everything else and said that there was nothing wrong with my heart, but that I had something called costochondritis. I think that's how you pronounce it. It was on the left-hand side of my chest. I'd never heard of it before, but since I've read quite a lot about it. It was very painful and uncomfortable for a very long time and flared up for many years after that. 
Early in 2013, I had an appointment with rheumatology in the nearby hospital. And yet again, more blood tests were ordered. It was followed by a consultation in July with neurosurgery. In both of these appointments, the doctor thought that I had fibromyalgia and seemed to know nothing about ME. Following that consultation, it was proposed that I have a stay for five days in the, in the pain clinic, but that didn't take place until the following year. Before I go on to that, I want to talk a little bit about my poetry and the first book of poems about ME that I published in 2013. When everything else is taken away from you, I think it's important to fill the void with something else. I decided to write poetry. Now, my love of poetry stems from many years of going to elocution lessons. Probably explains my posh voice. <laughs> it was a necessity at the beginning as I had a few speech problems. However, over the years, I came to appreciate and love poetry. I didn't start to write my own poems until some years later. I first wrote about the people and places in my life. After becoming ill, I returned to writing more poems, but this time I became inspired to write about my life with a chronic illness. Perhaps I wouldn't have written so many poems if I hadn't become ill. Anyway, it has given me a sense of purpose, has enabled me to express how I and others feel. It has been my salvation. As well as writing poems, I write a blog as the French femme, and I try to raise awareness and understanding on social media. Of course, it all depends on the level of my health, and it can take an awful long time to accomplish these tasks. The title of my first book is My A to Z of ME. And this is the first poem I wrote. My A to Z of ME. Angry, since I feel my life has all gone. Bored as endless days go on and on. Crying when no one can understand me. Depressed because of this illness, Emmy. Exhausted after every effort I make. Frustrated by those who believe I'm a fake. Grieving for everything that I have lost. Happy to find new friendship at no cost. Isolated from a world that used to be mine. Jealous of those who can have a good time. Kindness from others who suffer the same. Loss of so much and looking for blame. Miserable with no ending that's in its in sight. Nightmares strange and real that give me a fright. Optimistic, one day someone will find a cure. Pain is so strong and so hard to endure. Questions, so many that have no answer. Rest, 
and rest, hoping to feel better. Sensitive to so many things around me. Terrified by symptoms that people can't see. Understanding. Why is it so hard to explain? Value my life, though nothing is the same. Worry because my body feels so weak. XRMV, could this be the clue we seek? Yearn to be healthy and to have some fun. Zombie, instead, this is what I've become. I think the effort of putting my book together took a toll on me. And in September 2013, I had a severe relapse for several months with flu-like symptoms, swollen glands, malaise, fatigue and pain. I was mostly bed-bound and house-bound. In November 2013, I had a consultation with a psychologist at the hospital as part of the ongoing review. He found absolutely nothing wrong with me emotionally and mentally. Though he did remark that it was my husband that seemed to have more of the problems like that. And he wasn't wrong there. Hmm. Finally, the stay in the pain clinic took place in March 2014. The clinic was for all sorts of people with pain problems. And as usual, there was no understanding of ME. On the first day, it was proposed that everyone go for a Nordic walk. Exercise is in fact beneficial for some pain, pain conditions, but not for ME. I said that I couldn't do it, but I was forced to join in. It was hell. The next day I was extremely ill with severe pain everywhere and laid up in bed. I thought perhaps that the, now the doctor might start to believe me and try to understand. At least she didn't make me go for another walk that day or any other day during my stay. The other proposition was to take an antidepressant. I tried to explain that I wasn't depressed and I didn't think the medication would help. Yet I didn't want to seem uncooperative and difficult, so I gave it a try. Well, after the first day, I felt like a zombie and I refused to continue with it. I'm very sensitive to most medications, like many with ME. And of course, the doctor was totally ignorant of this. There were some benefits from my stay in the pain clinic, as several things were proposed to help me with pain. One was a TENS machine, which I knew nothing about. I still have one to this day, and I use it when my pain becomes severe and prolonged. The other was a heated cushion, which is very good if I have a pain in my neck or shoulders. It was also proposed that I see a kini, uh, but that never really helped me much. And it was proposed that I continue with my appointments uh, with my psychiatric nurse. Now, I had been seeing a psychiatric nurse for a little while, not so much for me, but mostly in order to help me to cope and live with my husband. 
but also to give me some support. And lastly, she proposed that as I seem to be so sensitive to medication, that I take paracetamol, paracetamol for pain on a regular basis. So I suppose the clinic wasn't a complete waste of time. A follow-up consultation was proposed for later that year, but unfortunately it never took place. Once again, the problems with my husband took precedent. He had been in psychiatric hospital many times and was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I won't go into all the details of what happened in 2014. It was an extremely difficult and stressful period. Somehow I coped until October 2014, when the situation with him became intolerable. I left him and that life with him, taking only the bare essentials with me. I was housed by an association and they looked after and, su and supported me. I found some truly amazing and wonderful people. They saved me. Of course, it had a knock-on effect on my health. But at the same time, I was free from all the stress that I had suffered with my husband. I was sad and I still cared for him. But I could no longer be with him and look after him. The divorce proceedings started early in 2015. So it was hardly surprising that by August 2015, I had a severe relapse and the development of shingles. My doctor prescribed increased pain medication, including codeine and Lyrica. The accommodation that the association had provided for me was only temporary and I had to find somewhere else. Of course, that put new demands and a different stress on me. Thankfully, I had lots of help and support. I couldn't have done it on my own. By the spring of 2016, I at last found a lovely little new home and my life began again, this time on my own. The effort and the extra demands on my energy in moving affected the level of my health and so from June to September of 2016 I once again went into a relapse. I had an ear and sinus infection which exacerbated all my, all my symptoms, especially dizziness and loss of balance. The, rel the relapse lasted for many months. In November, I had a hearing test and a checkup on my ears after the infection which had started in August. Thankfully, by then, all was fine. Now, at this point, I want to talk a little bit about what causes a relapse in ME and read my poem. A relapse is an unexpected deterioration in the condition of a sick person after partial recovery. The commonest causes of such a reverse in ME appear to be mental and physical overexertion 
and stress or secondary illness, usually an infection, possibly a minor one, before recovery from the first. A relapse is different to post-exertional malaise or exhaustion. This may occur immediately after activity or be delayed by hours or days. Recovery can be prolonged, usually takes 24 hours or longer. Whereas a relapse can be more severe and prolonged. A relapse may last for weeks, months or even years. This is my poem called Relapse. I'm in a relapse. I feel like I'm dying. I'm confined to my bed and I can't stop crying. I'm in a relapse. It's all so frightening. All my energy gone and hard to keep breathing. I'm in a relapse. My head is just splitting and it makes me feel so sick each time I try moving. I'm in a relapse, all symptoms worsening. Somehow I must survive, despite how I'm feeling. I'm in a relapse, it's a dreadful feeling. There's nothing I can do but to keep on resting. Since 2016, I've had at least three further relapses. In 2017, I had the chance to spend a short holiday with my daughter. She had moved to Australia and I didn't want to miss what might be the last time I would see her. In fact, it was the last time I saw her. I pushed myself to be as normal as possible and enjoy that special time with her. When I came home, I had a terrible relapse. I wasn't even capable of making myself something to eat. Thankfully, I had a very kind neighbour who brought me some food and helped with my shopping. In late 2018, I caught another infection. It also coincided with a little stress and sadness as my lovely cat disappeared. I was mostly bedbound for several months. Looking back, I don't know how I coped. Thankfully, I did, have, I did have a home help and a friend who helped me out. My latest relapse started early this year with a tooth infection, but because of the COVID situation, the lack of dentist in my part, part of France, I can't have the appropriate treatment until late September. So I've had three courses of antibiotics and I'm using a lot more painkillers. Living with Emmy is tough. For most part, I now have a quiet and stress-free life. Sometimes it's a lonely one. But after many years, I've learned how to best manage my illness. I pace, I pace and rest, but as you know, life can be unpredictable. I want to end this podcast with some of my poems. The first one is entitled, I Look Back. I look back and what do I see? Someone else that I used to be. 
a person happy and carefree, a life that was full and busy, a purpose with some dreams for me, a stranger, was that really me? Look forward and what do I see? I'm not sure what I can now be. All is lost, a life that's empty. Life ended, no future for me. A new life I must make for me. A life sick, a life within me. The second one is I miss me. I miss me. The one that enjoyed working, shopping, walking, hiking, cycling, swimming, dancing, talking, living. Since publishing my first book of poems, I've been able to put together and publish other books. It's a long, slow and difficult process, but it gives me something to live for a sense of purpose, and it's rewarding. I don't do it to make money, but to raise better awareness and understanding of a life with a chronic illness. At the same time, I donate a percentage of the proceeds from any of the sale of my books to the charity Invest in ME Research. In my later books, I've included a variety of poems. Some are about places and people in my life and things that I love. I don't know if and when I'll produce another book. I'll continue to write poetry and blogs. But for now, after this podcast, I'm going to take a little pause and then see what inspires me next. I'll end on a positive note with my poem entitled Hope. Hope to have a better day, the pain to go away. Hope this fatigue will soon end and my body mend. Hope to find energy, then start recovery. Hope to improve my pacing against all I'm facing. Hope I find new ways to cope, which come within my scope. Hope to increase, increase more awareness so disbelief is less. Hope that I can work again and all's not lost in vain. Hope to better understand this dreadful Emmy land. Hope for a future healthy and at last Emmy free. Well, that's it now. I really need to have a rest and lie down. Anyway, thank you for listening to me. And I hope that my experiences resonate with some of you and help you and that you feel less alone. Au revoir.